Canto 10, chapter 87. The underlying mystery, prayers of the personified Vedas. Sri Parikshit said, O Brahmin, the absolute truth, Brahma, cannot be described in words and has no material qualities. How can the revealed scriptures, the Shruti, the Vedas, dealing with the modes of nature, directly refer to that what is elevated above cause and effect? Sri Shuka said, The intelligence, senses, mind and the life force of the living beings were by their Lord and Master evolved for the sake of dealing with, being satisfied with, elementary matter, for the sake of getting a life, and for the sake of the emancipation of the soul and its ultimate liberation. The predecessors of our predecessors were fixed upon this same underlying mystery concerning the Absolute Truth. Whoever, with faith, holds on to it, will be free from material attachment and attain peace and happiness. I will here relate to you now an account concerning Lord Narayana. It is about a conversation between Narayana Rishi and Narada Muni. One day, when the Supreme Lord's beloved Narada was travelling the worlds, he went for a visit to the ashrama of the eternal seer Narayana. From the beginning of Brahma's day, he, Narayana Rishi, has just, for the welfare in this and the next life of human beings who maintain the Dharma, in Bharata Varsha been engaged in penances, spiritual knowledge and peacefulness. Having arrived there, he, Narada, bowed down to him, who sat there surrounded by sages from Kalapa, the village where he resided, and asked this very same question, O best of the Kurus. As the seers were listening, the Supreme Lord related the following ancient discussion about the Absolute Truth that took place between the inhabitants of Janaloka. The Supreme Lord said, O son of the self-born Lord Brahma, long ago in Janaloka, a sacrificial ceremony took place held by the celibate sages there who had found their life in Brahma. You, Narada, had left for Svetadvipa to see the Lord Aniruddha. Thereupon a lively discussion ensued between the sages of Janaloka about him, Vishnu, in the function of Aniruddha, in whom the Vedas lie down to rest, that rose the question that you are now again asking me. Even though they were equally qualified as for their penance and study of the Shruti, as also equal-minded towards friends, foes and neutrals, they appointed one of them as their speaker, while the rest eagerly listened. Sri Sanandana said, When he, Mahavishnu, after having created this universe, withdrew for the sake of its dissolution, and was lying asleep, the Vedas in person awakened the Supreme One with descriptions of his characteristics. The way a sleeping king, by his court poets, is awakened when they, as his servants, approach him at dawn with recitations of his heroic deeds. The Veda said, All glories, O oh, all glories to you, please, unconquerable one, 
defeat the eternal illusion that assumed the form of the natural modes and constitutes the human weakness. Because you, who in your original status are complete with all opulences, at times engaging with your spiritual and material energies awaken the powers of the mobile and immobile embodied beings, you can by us, the Vedas, be supported. The world we perceive is by the seers regarded as a product of something greater, something that no more than clay as a resource undergoes any change itself, being transformed in forms that dissolve again. For that reason, the seers dedicated their minds, words and actions to you. Where else could the footsteps of man be placed than on the ground they are walking? Your people of enlightenment, O master of all the three worlds, therefore dive deep into the nectarian ocean of narrations about you, the katha that eradicate the impurity and put an end to their troubles. It is therefore not that surprising that they, who by the power of their own minds dispelled the unwanted qualities of the identification with one's temporality, O Supreme One, experience the uninterrupted happiness of your abode in their worship. They who, like a bellows, are just displacing some air as they breathe, are full of vitality only when they are your faithful followers, for you, who are elevated above cause and effect, constitute the underlying reality from whose mercy the universal egg of the material complete, the separate existence, the ego and the other aspects of creation were produced. Adapted to the particular forms of the living being, you then appear here as the ultimate form among the different gross and subtle physical coverings. Among those living according to the standards of the seers, they who are engrossed in their vision worship the abdomen, the lower centers, while the arunis, the superior yogis, first of all fix their attention on the pranic knot of the subtle energies of the heart. From there, O unlimited one, they move their attention upward to the head that is your abode, and then they go to the highest destination from which they, having reached it, never again fall down into the mouth of death. Entering in a certain manner the by you differently created species of life as their motivation, you become visible depending the higher or lower form of your own created beings, just as fire manifests itself depending the form ignited. You thus, existing among them as the real among the unreal, are understood as being one unchanging, equal manifestation of love by those who, free from material entanglements, have spotless minds. The person residing within the bodies he owes to his karma is, as an expansion of you who are the possessor of all energies as is stated by the Vedas, in fact not of the external, the gross body, nor of the internal, the subtle body, but is, by these bodies, enveloped. When scholars of the scriptures have developed faith in ascertaining the status of the living entity as being of that manifestation, as an expansion of yours, a person, they worship your feet as the source of liberation and the field in which all offerings are sown. By diving deep into the vast nectar ocean of the 
adventures of the forms that you have assumed to propagate the hard-to-grasp principle of the soul, the few souls who found relief from the fatigue of a material life do not even wish to be liberated from this world, O Lord. This is so because they, after abandoning their homes, found association with the community of the swans, the transcendental people, at your lotus feet. This body, useful for serving you, acts as oneself, one's friend and beloved. They, however, who, alas, fail to delight in you, rather find the degradation of the physical frame in successive births, in spite of you as their very self being favorably disposed, helpful and affectionate. As a matter of fact, they, failing to find their way with their great existential fears, cling to material desires and are thus self-destructive, soul-killing in their worship of the unreal. That what by the sages, with their breathing, mind and senses being brought under control in steadfast yoga is worshipped in the heart, is also attained by those who remember you in enmity. We, the Shrutis, will likewise attain you, and, being equally considered by you, equally relish the nectar of the lotus feet that the women enjoy, whose minds are attracted to your arms that are as firm as mighty snake bodies. Ah, who out here, who but recently was born and soon will die, as an inkling of the one who came first, from whom the leading seer Brahma arose, who was followed by the two groups of demigods. When he lies down to withdraw, at that time nothing remains of the gross and the subtle, nor of that what comprises them both, the bodies, and the flow of time and the shastras are also no longer there. They who, teaching with authority, declare that life springs from that matter, that that what is eternal would end, that the soul would not be one, and that doing business would constitute reality, they who state that the living being thus would have been produced from the three modes, are fixed upon a dualistic notion born from ignorance. Such a thing cannot exist in your transcendence, in you, who are the essence of full perception. The temporality of forms and thus the untrue threefoldness and its mind phenomena up to the human beings appear in you as if they would be true. They are illusory, but because they are transformations non-different from him, they are nevertheless not rejected by the knowers of the soul, for they consider the entirety of this world as something true, namely as your living body. They, these forms, and also persons created by him who enters his creation in person, are for that reason recognized as being parts and parcels of the true self, just as gold is not different when being assigned different forms. They only, who worship you as the shelter of all created beings, do not worry about death and simply put their feet on his head, but with your words, you tie up even the scholars among the non-devotees the way one ties up animals. They who consider themselves your friends thus arrive at purification, and not so much those who turn their face away. You are the self-effulgent, causeless one, free from the senses, who maintains the power of the sensory functions of all creatures. 
the demigods, together with the unborn Lord Brahma, take part in paying you tribute and partake of the offerings carried, just as the local rulers in a kingdom, together with the sovereign, who rules the entire country, are of respect for you and enjoy their share. That is how they, who are the appointed leaders, perform their duties in fear of you. The species of life that manifest themselves as stationary and moving are by your material energy motivated for action. But that can happen only when you, the one aloof, O eternally liberated one, cast your brief glance thereupon by assuming your forms for having your pastimes in the material world. To you, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, no one can be a stranger or a friend, just as the Eater can have no perceptible qualities. In that sense, you are like the void of space. If the countless embodiments of the living beings would be eternal, the omnipresent time, as a consequence, would not be such a sovereign rule or unchanging one. But it is not otherwise because the substance cannot be independent from that from which it was generated, you, the regulator who are the time, must be known as being equally present everywhere. When one supposes that one knows you materially, one is mistaken in the falsehood of an opinion on the local order. Material nature, Prakriti, and the person Purusha, do not find their existence at a particular point in time. Not originating as such from one or the other, it is from the combination of these two primordial elements that living bodies find their existence in you, just as bubbles find their existence as a combination of water and air. And just as rivers merge into the ocean and all flavors of flower nectar merge into the honey, these living beings, with all their different names and qualities, in the end, merge again into the Supreme. Those who are wise understand how much your Maya bewilders human beings and frequently render traditional service unto you, the source of liberation. How could there, for the ones who faithfully follow you, be any kind of fear about a material existence? a fear that by the three-rimmed wheel of time of past, present and future, by your furrowing eyebrows, repeatedly is raised in those who do not take shelter of you. The mind being conquered by the senses and the breath is like a horse not under control. Those who in this world strive for regulation but have abandoned the feet of the guru find, being most unsteady with the various methods of control, full of distress, hundreds of obstacles on their way, O unborn one. They are like merchants sailing on the ocean who failed to employ a helmsman. What do servants, children, a body, a wife, money, a house, land, vitality and vehicles mean to human beings for whom you became their very self, the embodiment of all pleasure? And what at all would to those who fail to appreciate the truth and carry on with their indulgence in sexual matters bring real happiness in this world that is subject to destruction and in itself is lacking meaning? The seers, free from false pride, who with the greatest piety on this earth direct themselves at the places of pilgrimage and the sites of his pastimes, have installed your feet in their heart and destroy all sins with the water of their feet. 
They, who but once turned their mind towards you, the supreme soul of eternal happiness, will never again devote themselves to the homely affair of a family life that steals away a person's essential qualities. If someone says, from the real of God, the real of the universe has manifested, that can certainly be doubted and refuted. The combination is inconsistent, for it is true in a number of cases, while it is an illusion not being so in other cases. For the sake of worldly purposes, rows of people with a dark vision like to consider it alternatively and bewilder with different meanings and implications of your numerous words of wisdom, those who are not using their minds with ritual praises. Because this universe did not exist in the beginning and after its annihilation neither will exist, can be concluded that that what in between appears within you, the sole object of love, is the untrue. We understand this universe thus as an unreal illusory combination of different categories of the real primal substance, while the less intelligent ones, prone to falsehood, consider this mind game as real. By reason of the insurmountable presence of material nature, he, the living entity, reconciles himself to that undeveloped state, and, in taking to her qualities, the gunas, accordingly assumes forms. Bound to those forms, he is deprived of spiritual qualities, and runs into the facts of birth and death. You yourself, on the other hand, leave her, the material energy, aside, like a snake that sheds its skin, and are, in your eightfold greatness, glorified as the one unlimited in his glories who is endowed with all spiritual qualities. When those who restrain themselves do not uproot the desires in their hearts, they, in their impurity, cannot reach you who have entered their heart. They are like someone who has forgotten the jewel he hung around his neck. Yoga practitioners who are satisfied with an animalistic life will be unhappy in both worlds here and hereafter, here about death they cannot escape, and hereafter about you whose kingdom they cannot attain. Someone who understands you is not concerned about the favorable or unfavorable, good or bad, that is associated with the body he has assumed. Neither does he care about what others say. O you of all qualities, day after day he fills his ears with the song that is heard in every age through the disciplic succession. For that reason, the children of Manu, the human beings, consider you the ultimate goal of liberation. Neither the masters of heaven nor even you can reach the end of your glories, O unlimited one, O you, within whom the many universes by the drive of time, each in their own shell, are blown about in the sky like particles of dust. The Shrutis, bearing fruit by eliminating that what is not the absolute truth, find in you their ultimate conclusion. The Supreme Lord said, Having heard this instruction about the true self, the sons of Brahma understood their final destination and worshipped thereupon perfectly satisfied the sage Sanandana. This is how in the past 
the nectar of the underlying mystery of all the Vedas and Puranas, the Upanishad philosophy was distilled by the great souls, the classical sages, who appeared in this world to roam in higher spheres. O you, heir of Brahma, Narada, wander the earth as you wish, meditating with faith upon this instruction about the soul that turns the desires of man to ashes. Shuka said, The self-possessed Rishi, thus receiving the command of the sage, accepted it faithfully, O king. Now completely being of success, he whose vow was as firm as Ikshatriya's, after due consideration, said the following. Sri Narada said, My obeisances to him, the Supreme Lord Krishna of a spotless renown, who manifests his attractive expansions for the liberation of all living beings. Thus having spoken, Narada bowed down to the original Rishi Narayana and to the great souls who were his pupils. Then he went from there to the hermitage of my physical father, Dvaipayana Vedavyasa. He was honored by the great devotee Vyasa who offered him a seat whereupon Narada sat down and described to him what he had heard from the mouth of Sri Narayana. And thus I have answered your question, O King, on how the mind can be engaged in the absolute truth, the reality without material qualities that cannot be expressed in words. He who watches over this universe in the beginning, the middle and the end, he who is the controller of the unmanifested matter and the individual soul, he who sent forth this universe, entered it along with the individual seer and producing bodies with him, regulates them. He because of whom one surrendering abandons the material energy one embraces, the way a sleeper abandons his body, is the Supreme Lord upon whom one incessantly should meditate to be free from fear.